Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. And I know that you are wondering, where has Shannon Etheridge even been lately? Because it has been a while since we got an episode down the pike. And so just to give everyone a quick update for those of you who weren't aware, this past year has been the biggest tornado of my entire life in that my husband was transferred to Springfield, Missouri. So we had to buy a house, move from Kentucky to Missouri. I've totally remodeled that house top to bottom inside, not yet out, but for the most part, we're, we're done in, in, on the inside. Plus my husband was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, we bought this house in March. I started remodeling in April. He was diagnosed in May. So he had to go through rounds and rounds of chemotherapy and has just finished his last, hopefully last round of chemotherapy. We will find out on March 21st what his blood counts are. And so hopefully the next time I record a podcast, I'll be able to, be able to give you a big update and praise report about that. And on top of all of that, my mother also had to go into assisted living and we had to get rid of everything in her house and sell that. And so, and plus my son had to move as well and I had to help him buy his first house. So every really important person in my life had major upheaval over the past 12 months. So just for the record, my apologies that there has not been an episode coming down the pike, but I know that y'all are probably thinking there's no need to apologize, Shannon. You've had so much on your plate. We get it. We get it. So thank you for your grace. But I do have to tell you two things. Number one, I am going to give a, an entire episode to the update of the house and the workshops and what God is doing here in this place. And again, Charlie's update on our next episode where I'm going to interview Doug and Bethany Buffington who are former coaching clients of mine. They came to me as a couple and then uh, God orchestrated it such that they were the ones who actually helped me remodel the house because Charlie was simply not able to do much at all, obviously. So I want an opportunity to sing their praises and to show you what all we've been busy doing um, all these months. But when I heard about this person and this project that she is working on, that was what lit a fire under my ass. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. I'm not even going to be soft about it. <laughs> it literally lit a fire under my ass to get this locomotive back on the track. I felt like a scene out of murder on the Orient Express where the locomotive literally comes off the track and is sideways. So I heard from, it's a blast from my past, but we have reunited these past few years, but Reverend Angie McCarty is a dear friend of mine from way back in the youth ministry days. I'm talking about almost 30 years ago, Angie. Can you believe that it's been that long since we no. met? Because we're each, we're only 25. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we met when we were negative five. <laughs> yeah. So Angie uh, was actually, you, you were training to be a pastor, but trying to be a minister in seminary yes. at Perkins School of Theology at SMU in Dallas when I lived in Dallas. And she and I directed um, this little thing called Impact Summer Camps for teenagers. We were both youth pastors and had a huge heart for young people and sexuality. So 
I actually started this little thing called Best Ministries, which stood for Biblical Education for Sexual Temptation. And I was an abstinence educator that traveled around to high schools and colleges. And Angie was one of the first people that I recruited to be a speaker on that team. There was like four of us, five of us that did these on occasion. And so you have learned some things over the past 30 years since we did those abstinence education workshops that are probably going to curl our listeners' toenails. So I want to let you have the majority of time to tell us this special project that you're working on, but I will go ahead and say that Angie is the minister at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas, as well as Spring Hill United Methodist Church. And she's been doing something over these past couple of years that I'm very envious of. You've been working on a doctoral degree in pretty fantastic. And yeah, so let me clarify that I am one of like 25 pastors on the staff at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection. And currently I'm doing senior adult ministry, which is a great um, partnership with being the senior pastor at Spring Hill, which is a lovely little community, um, a suburb of Kansas City as well. So life is really, really good. I started my doctoral program two years ago now. I had planned on graduating this May, May 2022. And in my work, I just felt like I needed more time to Mm. adequately um, and effectively do the research that I personally am working on to create a program that can be used in any church, primarily to offer an alternative sexual ethic to abstinence and to heal the cognitive dissonance that people feel when they have been brought up with an abstinence-only ethic, in particular when that ethic has been taught in a manipulative and shame-based way, Mm -hmm. which we are now discovering uh, the the purity movement of the early 1990s contributed to. And Shannon, I put us in that bucket. I do admit, (laughs) I I admit, I I want to think that we weren't as manipulative as maybe some others who came at it from a perspective of, I was a virgin when I married, you could be too. And I don't think either you or I, I know that I was not coming at that perspective. I was not either. Right. We were coming at it from a more grace-based perspective, but I know that you've learned things that I don't know yet. And I'm eager to hear more about what this what this has been like on this younger generation that was raised with a a scarlet letter hanging above their head of you have to be abstinent or else you're going to be an adulterer or an adulteress or yeah. Mm -hmm. And what we know is that about 80% of people don't make it to marriage as virgins. Mm. And we have put this priority on virginity, which by the way, um, disproportionately affects women. When we talk about virginity, by and large, the context is about a woman's virginity being offered to her husband. And there are all kinds of cultural and historical um, reasons that have just kind of followed us uh, in that area. But um, there are so many fascinating things that I have learned in this program, and I haven't really developed my elevator speech yet, you know, like the 30 second overview of 
what I've learned and where it's going. You heard a little bit. I mean, part of part of my research is how do we heal the damage that has been done by the church with the best of intentions? Yes. And and let me also say that I am not against an abstinence ethic. I, I was I, I was going to say let's rewind the tape and talk about when you said yeah. an alternative sexual ethic to abstinence. I wanted to make sure that my listeners heard loud and clear. We're not saying just throw yourself at unethical sexuality. That is, that is, that is not in any way, shape or form what we're promoting. We're still the same people that we used to be. We're just a little smarter now. So we still hold sexuality in high regard as something very, very sacred. Right. And the way that we have set up sexuality in the church, the way that we speak about it is kind of this false dichotomy. You are either abstinent or you're sleeping around and have no morals, right? So what's the middle of that? Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to clarify is that my research is solely focused on adults. So I do think we need to figure out how to speak to youth about this, but adults whose frontal lobes are fully developed. And mm-hmm. therefore we hope that they have the capacity to uh, make decisions in a more effective way. They are less impulsive in their actions. I believe that adults have the capacity for nuance. Mm-hmm. And so the, the ethic that I am working towards is based on covenant rather than marriage. Okay. Okay. So let me unpack that a little bit more because I am not yeah. anti-married uh, marriage. I am married to arguably the best man on the face of the entire planet. You can fight me later for that. Exactly. <laughs> You're not to it out yet again. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So in the United States, the only way we define someone as married is if they have a marriage certificate. Mm -hmm. My brother and his, we could say girlfriend, technically they've been together for 12 years Mm -hmm. are in a deep covenant relationship. Mm -hmm. They're younger than me. There's a whole generation that is objecting to marriage, but not covenant. Right. The institution of marriage, the idea Correct. That I would have to go through a very painful divorce for anything to change right. in my life. That I think they right. watch their parents go through that, and they definitely they don't want any part of that. Definitely, yeah. But um, or and you, we in the church can recognize someone as married, and therefore are, and therefore their sexuality, their sexual relationship is valid in the church's eyes or acceptable in the church's eyes. They now, don't are you, have are, to have, are you referring to in particular the Methodist church or is this pretty much universally all churches or only select denominations or I, I am pretty much referring to the church universal. Okay. The only denomination that I have found so far, and I would, I would encourage your listeners to challenge me on this. The United Church of Christ has a very holistic 
view of sexuality. I'm not sure that they would land on abstinence as the only possibility mm-hmm. for sexuality, sexual expression. Mm-hmm. And it, but the United Methodist Church, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, certainly the Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, the I mean, most other churches stick to an ethic that says sexuality, sexual expression, uh, sexual relationships are only approved, condoned within the bond of marriage, Mm -hmm. which I contend is an institution of the state, not Mm -hmm. the church, because Mm -hmm. people can get married without the church's involvement at all. Right. They just go to the courthouse. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. On the opposite end of that, I have experienced couples who did not sign a wedding license and therefore are not technically married, married, Mm -hmm. legally, but who have a deep covenant relationship with each other. Mm. And so again, I am not anti-marriage. I am pro covenant. And this is where people would say, well, two people who would willingly enter into a sexual relationship without being married must not be Christian address that because my understanding (laughs) is that 90% of Christians who walk down the aisle to marry one another have already had sex with one another. So I think that we probably need to take our heads out of the sand and realize that what's been prescribed isn't always accurate in how we describe how we really live and what is God's stance towards someone who engages in that uh, in, in, right. in intimacy prior to marriage what is your belief because I remember you and I had a, an amazing conversation a couple of years ago about this and I was I blown do. away about the counsel that you gave a 50 something year old woman yeah yeah a 52 year old woman who was getting married for the first time was kind of the one of the the instances that got me thinking about this she said you know I'm this is my situation does God really expect us to not have sex until we're married. And as I thought about that more and more, she and her fiance at the time um, to not include sexuality as a part of their relationship almost seemed like they were keeping something holy from their relationship. Mm. So let me, let me backtrack a minute and say that, that almost every couple I marry is living together before they're married. And when they tell me that almost universally, if they grew up in the church, hang their head and kind of say, oh, we're living together. Shame. Living in sin. they, They feel this shame. They think, well, the church has told them that they are living in sin. And I look at my brother and Ashley, and I have a hard time thinking that their covenant relationship displeases God. Mm. Now, could they live together for 12 years and not have a sexual relationship and have that please God? I'm not so sure. God designed our sexuality. And let me also say, I get that I'm not God, right? Yes. I, I'm not trying to play God. And we're not rewriting the Bible either. I I want to make that loud and clear. We're just trying to properly interpret 
how the Bible of old applies to our culture today so that we can extract God's true character in nature and apply that to what's happening in our culture in in this modern era. We're no longer betrothed by the time we're 14, married before we're 15. That that era is, that was over a long, long time ago. We're single twice as long as people used to be. Right. With the primary purpose of marriage previously being an economic relationship. Right. There there wasn't even faithfulness expected. No. Right. So let's go to the Bible. Well, and let me, let me just interject. uh People are going, what, what do you mean? Faithfulness wasn't even expected in marriage back then. Listen to the Esther Perel Ted talk on rethinking infidelity, where she talks about the purpose of marriage used to be an economic arrangement where, you know, whose kids are yours and who inherits the cattle when you die. But there, they, men had mistresses. And we even see in the Bible that there were men, patriarchs of the faith who had multiple wives. And again, I'm not prescribing it. I'm not saying that we should go back to this by any stretch, but we have to look at the big picture. And if we're going to say we have to live by the Bible, um, there are some things in the Bible that you could not translate to our culture today. No way. So let's put on our list for a future podcast, the biblical view of marriage. Okay. We, we could talk about that for 30 minutes. Right. Right. And the biblical okay, view so, of sex, I think could have a whole conversation oh, on its own. Yeah. So, yeah. so the word that is, that is translated into fornication or sexual immorality is the word pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. Mm-hmm. Pornea in biblical times primarily meant that, um, that men ought to be faithful to their wives and therefore not engage in what the culture said was okay, which was extramarital sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. So we, we, the modern church has turned that very specific word in a very specific context into sexual immorality which is much bigger, I think, than what the intention originally was. Right. Then you get to the next question. What the heck is sexual immorality? Like, where do you draw that line? Mm -hmm. Is making out in the backseat of a car sexually immoral? Do we require penetration before it is immoral? If so, is oral sex immoral? We have no idea how to speak credibly on that. Right. Now, people have. um, Joshua Harris, bless his soul, you know, advocated for courtship and pretty much no dating. Mm -hmm. No dating. Save your your first kiss until the altar. Until the altar. Mm -hmm. He has recanted that in every way and apologized. He has gone on a major apology tour. And I have to say, I really respect a person who can stand up and say, I was wrong and I was really successful at being wrong. And I had a a book that was a cultural phenomenon and I did a Mm -hmm. lot of damage. He has come to this realization and he has, he has humbled himself and admitted the things that that he's recognized since then. I think that that's yeah. a really big person, don't you? It absolutely. I have so much respect for him. Yep. Yeah. So I think what I'm trying to do 
is to heal the damage that has been done that I personally participated in portraying. Yep. Perpetrating, our, our hands are up the right word. from the best mm-hmm. ministries days of abstinence only education as if there was no such thing as grace or mercy or unconditional mm-hmm. love. I don't think that we taught it that heavy handed, but I know that young people well, interpreted as right. I will lose God's favor and maybe even be ousted from my tribe, i.e. church and parents, if I don't live up to this high, 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 high standard. And I know that there's been a lot of people in my coaching office over the past 30 years of just so much guilt and shame and remorse. And I have often wondered, it's like, are you being harder on yourself than God is on you? Cause I don't think that God is looking on you nearly as, as shadily as you think. Paints God in a bad exact light. same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Now going back to our best ministries, I think that our curriculum was really good. Thank you. However, <laughs> I tried. Yes. Good job, Shannon. But, yes. but, but I but, was 27 years old when I developed it. So you know, just yeah, for the record, makes me what did I know? Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. What did right. we know? Um, we, I think the most damaging things that we did were the object lessons. The rose where skit. We, the rose skit where we took a petal off the rose for each person that you slept with, each person you shared your rose with, and then we would bend the stem. And so what do you have to offer your spouse on your wedding night? This crappy looking rose. Well, there you are, kids. You're a crappy looking rose and you're broken and beyond repair if you have offered yourself to someone sexually outside of marriage. Now, I did did end that skit with, but God is in the restoration business and he can restore your rose because that was my story of having been such a promiscuous figure. But I was challenged on more than one occasion by educated, well-meaning Christian, particularly men, just saying, Shannon, can you really say that you have no regrets about how you've lived your life? And it's like, you can't tell me that I should have regrets because this is, this path is what's taken me to a closer relationship with God. But the idea that, oh no, no. And I wonder if they would have said the same thing if I had been a man than a woman, but no, 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 you can't preach that if, if you've, if you've gone too far, or if you go too far in the future, that you can have a secondary virginity or that God will restore it because that's not quite right. And I'm like, what Bible are you reading? But I I digress a little bit, but agreed. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Yeah. It's it's still the message. Digression. Yeah. It's the message loud and clear that you're damaged goods. Absolutely. And we, even if we had taken duct tape and piece that rose back together. It's not the same. And I think what you and I have experienced is, is something even better that we might have been identifying personally with that rose, but the redemption that we spoke of has, has made us who we are. That's the part that'll preach even more than do what I only could wish that I had done. Exactly. Right. Right. So, um, let me mention one thing, how your listeners can help. The first stage of my research is a survey that survey monkey says takes 13 minutes to complete. So if you have 
13 minutes to give and you would like to contribute to the work that I'm doing, you can find a link to the survey in the comments. And that survey will ask you a couple of things. First of all, what was your church like when you were an adolescent? What did your church teach about sexuality? What did you embrace from those teachings? And then what is your ethic now? What is your sexual ethic now? And then how, if, if what you embraced as an adolescent is different from what you believe now, do you carry any guilt or shame or cognitive dissonance is what I'm right. looking for. Yeah. Um, Resentment for the, for that space in between. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I think that there's just a lot of people who are really angry at God and at the church and at their spouse and themselves because they get this notion. This is what I hear in coaching office all the time is, well, we, we went all the way before we married. And so I just, I know that, that God, that we do not have God's blessing and I just want to shake him and go show me that in scripture. And I want to ask your opinion about something in particular that I heard on a podcast called Holy Smokes. It's a bunch of pastors sitting around smoking cigars and drinking their alcoholic beverage of choice. I think that's to kind of level the playing field and show that they're just human too. But there was a female biblical scholar on there talking about how she researched the word fornication ad nauseum. She just scoured the Bible and looked at every time it was used and what was the context. And that according to her findings, it is not what the church has taught that it is in that before we've taught that it's sexual energy, feeling aroused and channeling that toward even a, a mutually consenting partner uh, one that you are, yeah, even one that you're intending to marry next week, that if you don't have that license right then and there, then this is fornication. That, that it's, it's like the idea of any sexual arousal prior to your wedding date is right. how the church Lost. has defined fornication. Lost, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Even just the desire to have, to, to have sexual intimacy be a part of your life has been defined as fornication, but that her research really highlighted the fact that the word fornication can really only be used in the context of unconsenting forced sexual behavior, which now we're talking rape. Now we're talking incest. Now we're talking a totally different story than what these 90% of the people on the planet who had sex before they got married. That's that's totally different than what they're dealing with, but yet we're making them feel like fornicators. And then they read that passage of scripture that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And like, they're truly worried about their salvation. Right. I am concerned. My heart. I Mm -hmm. am concerned that if we don't wake up to what the Bible really tells us, what the Bible really teaches us. And most importantly, that, that God's grace and that mercy is new every morning and all that are, you know, there's a reason that it goes from old Testament to new Testament, not the other way around. But I think yes. that in, in the church era, we have been telling them about the gospel, but then following that up with, but you need to live according to this law 
it's like we've been going in the opposite order, New Testament to Old Testament. But I know that people are thinking, oh, well, she's just saying that you can just you know, break God's laws and and let it be your driver's license to sin, that there's grace and mercy. I'm not saying that. But if we no. don't wake up to what we are preaching and how opposite to the order of the Bible and the gospel message it really is, the church is going to die. I, I'm just going to go on the yes. record as saying that on the day that we're recording, yes. March 1st, 2022 at 2.24 in the afternoon, Shannon Etheridge said, that in 30 years from now, the church is either going to be severely walking wounded or possibly even dead. I mean, now I know it will never be totally dead because we know who wins in the end and, and God's, you know, like we're God's army and we're God's, you know, we're the bride of Christ and all that. But we are so excluding people from feeling the freedom yeah. to come into the fold and to take their place, their rightful place in the body of Christ, regardless of what's in their past. We are sending the message that you can't possibly be a Christian if your sexual mm -hmm. ethic isn't sexual abstinence completely all the way until marriage. But this is why parents stopped talking to their teenagers a long time ago, because they didn't want to look like hypocrites saying, now do as I say, but not as I do. Yes. If we're feeling that big yeah. of a hypocrite that we're telling our children something totally different than what we did, maybe we need to look at the message. Maybe we need to be preaching God's mercy and grace a little bit more heavily to create a balance there. Yes. I'm off my soapbox. Yes. What are your thoughts about the word fornication and the notion that if we don't get this right, and if we keep teaching this from such a legalistic perspective, the church could potentially be, a, if it doesn't die, it's going to be a lot skinnier than it is right now. I think that, that, that that's spot on that fornication and the understanding of fornication is spot on. And that the way we talk about sexuality misrepresents the nature and character of God. There you go. As expressed through the enfleshment of God in Jesus Christ. I, I just got tingles came, from head to toe. Right, right. The verse that if, any, if anybody knows a Bible verse, they know John 3, 16, right? For God, God to love, love the world. world. Yep. John 3, 17 should never be divorced from 16. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. And the church has offered nothing but condemnation in this area. Yeah, I have done. And I've done previous episodes on how sexual thoughts and feelings are so not sinful. And I highlight the fact what? that even Jesus himself had sexual thoughts and feelings that produce temptations because we're told he's tempted in every way, but was not sin. So my clients who are mm -hmm. telling me that they are sinning because they even have a sexual thought or even feel sexual energy course through their body because they're humans. And that's what human bodies do. That's how God created their human body. Exactly. By the way. But for them yeah. to insist that they have sinned and that this is lust, that this is fornication, that they, they somehow don't deserve to live or go to heaven or whatever. Sometimes I just ask them, do you honestly think that God expects you to be holier than Jesus Christ himself was? who was also God in the flesh, Jesus had sexual thoughts and feelings. We have to stop thinking mm -hmm. that all sexual thoughts and feelings are sin. I just can't buy into that, that God would create us this way that, yeah. you know, th that human beings have these thoughts, feelings, dreams, you know, all of that, but there's serious trouble if you act on it. That's like saying, 
Yeah. You have to fast your whole life. You, you can't eat. You can't drink. You yeah. can't sleep. You can't get horny. God forbid you get horny. Tell people substitute the word alive for horny. As long as you're alive, there's going to be some level of sexual energy in there. And it was put there by God. God did not design your whole body. And then the, the devil slapped on the genitals at the last minute. Like this, this is how we are wired. And if we don't learn to teach this better in the church, I know lots and lots of people that were my kids ages who heard this message from the church. And not only have they rebelled against the notion that they should save sex until marriage, they have rebelled against the church and God. And that's, that's on our hands. That that's as, that's as big a heresy complaint as anyone could possibly make. Yes. Now, here's the other piece to this, and I know we need to wrap this up, but I could talk about this for 45 hours, Shannon. <laughs> I may give you that opportunity. <laughs> what I know. What the church's teaching and ethic has also done in creating that shame is the neurons that fire together wire together. So if you link shame with sexuality for long enough, you can't just turn off that light switch on the wedding night. So people who have even made it to their wedding night as virgins, after what I'm sure is a whole lot of work and devotion and dedication, they get to their wedding night and the rest of their sexual relationship in marriage is damaged. It's trained because they even feel shame having sex with their spouse. Yes. Because it's not, it is, it is sexuality overall that is condemned mm-hmm. when we, when we talk about even lust being wrong or sexual thoughts being a sin, right? That now, even in the sexual relationship, women especially are exhibiting signs and symptoms of PTSD. PTSD. Yep. I was going to yep. say when a, when a woman tells me that she cried hysterically on her honeymoon night and was not able to consummate the marriage for several months because she couldn't let go of that, of her identity yeah. as a virgin and being sexually pure, because that was what was so heralded within her family of origin and within her church culture. We have done damage there. And we have to take, we have done that. that. We, we yes. have to take ownership of that before healing can take place, but you're so, yes. you're so dead on in that when, when the, when the storyline surrounding sexuality is this is dirty, this is bad. This is shameful. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. That mm-hmm. doesn't change when you put a wedding band on your finger. That is often still yep. the story. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not consciously telling yourself that, but subconsciously, yeah, usually not you yourself to think and do and yeah. be. Yep. And that's heartbreaking because sex can be so good and it's supposed to be, and it's supposed to be life-giving and intimate and bring just this amazing sense of connection to our relationships. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to go out on the limb here and tell a very quick story about how I was preaching at a church way down South a few years ago. And we had a Q&A session and several of the ladies had bit my ear during the breaks about their frustrations with the true love weights movement and the silver ring thing. And this was a church that very much bought into that. And 
all I did was read the question that was written on a card for my Q&A session where I told them they can ask whatever they want to ask and they can use whatever words they want to use to ask it. And a woman wrote something along the lines of how can I possibly undo the enormous damage done by the true love weights movement and how I drank that Kool-Aid and my simply reading that out loud from the stage caused the pastor to become irate absolutely irate. And people saw it. There were even people pulling me aside and saying, I'm so sorry for how my pastor seems to be treating you right now. And I was embarrassed for him that he was being so childish and immature about it, that other people would actually notice. But I just want to give men in the church and pastors in particular, a a big newsflash women of uh, what, what era would you say the eighties, nineties, Early 2000s came out in 1993. Okay. That was when they really started to push the curriculum. So early nineties, I mean, the abstinence ethic was always there before, mm-hmm. but true love weights coming onto the scene and, um, so for the past and 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The women who have been trained up by the church for the past 30 years without a grace-based approach, uh, have most likely felt damaged and we need to stop throwing stones at each other for even mentioning the elephant in the room and let's just slice and dice that elephant and put it under the microscope and figure this out have we truly hurt people so about it i love that this is what you have committed your entire dissertation to yep and so tell me again your doctoral program is in well, the title of the program at St. Paul School of Theology in Leewood, Kansas is Spiritual Leadership for Unsettled Times. And it was just fortuitous that like, you know, months after I started, we were in the middle of a pandemic. So how much more unsettled do you get than that? And then um, each of us in the program have the freedom to study what we want to study and what we're passionate about. So I just tell people that I'm getting my doctorate in sexual ethics. And that you can call me Dr. Sex someday. (laughs) Doctorate in (laughs) ethics. I love, love, love that. I mean, it's so it's a doctor of ministry. Okay. So it's practical more than theoretical. It's not a PhD, but um, a doctorate of ministry in sexual ethics, I think is how I would, how I would frame that. And if people want to participate in your survey, which you said you already have over 200 surveys, which 200 would consider that successful, but girl, after this Uh episode airs, I'm hoping that you will have more than double that. Maybe even 10 times that I hope so. We, we need to extract real data and real information from real people's lives to truly look at the reality and, and analyze things and apply it to the younger generation of how can we do better with the next generation? How can we do better? Such that people yes. can marry sexuality and spirituality together as two sides of the same coin and not feel as if they have to Definitely. throw the baby out with the bathwater. I can't buy into this Jesus thing because I got sexual feelings. There, there, it was never intended to be either or. It's both and. You can have sexuality and spirituality. So would you please, 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 I am personally asking you to take 13 minutes and click on the link to take this survey so that Angie, between now and the end of May, can have lots of data to derive her conclusions and complete this dissertation. And we definitely want to have you back on to talk about what the data 
speaks to, I know that Brene Brown has become such a cultural phenomenon because this is not just conjecture. She speaks about the data. So I love that you're doing this from a research-based approach. So I am personally asking you to invest 13 minutes go to if you're not if you're listening to this on a different platform like SoundCloud or whatever there may not you may not have access to a link so just go to YouTube find this particular episode and the link will be in the description below so that you can just click on it and go straight to the survey monkey survey and is this being done anonymously on their parts you will need to offer your name as a signature for the informed consent i'm not looking at those names Right. Um, so I, I know you don't know me and you don't know to trust me, but the names don't matter. You're now. not matching up people's answers to their name in any way, shape or Definitely. form. Just to legitimize your research. Yes, correct. But those correct. names will never be published. No one will ever know. Never. Yeah. Never. And that's all in the informed consent. Oh. Let me say that if people finish the survey, um, there is a second step to my research that is completely voluntary. And at the very end, you would give me your email address if you want to participate in about a 45 minute conversation with me, just unpacking some of the answers to your questions. Wow. Then the third step, totally optional. Yep. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that's pretty clear in the, in the survey. Now, a third step is if people go through the, um, the meeting with me, the appointment with me, and then want to participate in a class, I'm designing a curriculum that can be used at other churches to offer an alternative ethic to heal that gap between what we were taught and what we now believe. So that's far in the future, like that's next year. But again, that second and third step of the research is totally optional. And just responding to the survey will be a huge asset to me. Yes. And I think to all of Christendom. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you're doing this. It feels like redemption. It smells like redemption. It tastes like redemption. Uh, Yeah. And I know that there are some people listening that the abstinence message is the only thing about sexuality that they ever heard. And so they're just challenging us like crazy in their minds. I would say that, you know what? It's okay. You're not committing heresy. We're not committing heresy. We're just challenging the body of Christ to look more closely at what we're teaching, how in alignment with God's character and nature is it? And is it doing more harm than good? Are we doing the next generation of young people and really any age people a disservice to continue repeating what we've been told? Because that's what I was going to say is that if it's the only storyline you've ever been told, then of course, that's the only thing you've ever thought about it. Yeah. But how do you know any different? There, there was a day and time when, you know, slavery was a, a totally fair subject because it was mentioned in the Bible and it was allowed right. in our culture and society and that women weren't allowed yeah. to vote and like times change. God leans forward, not backward. And that right. we're, we're going through an awakening. It's like a sexual renaissance, but not yes. like in the seventies of just make love, not war and have sex with anybody and everybody. Right. We're not saying that. But there is a sexual renaissance happening where people are understanding the sacredness of it while recognizing that it is, it is totally not just acceptable, but expected that your sexuality and your spirituality 
are, 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 are meshed and blended together. They are one and the same. It's who we are as human beings. We are integrated. We want to be integrated human beings that aren't compartmentalized into the physical part, the emotional part, the sexual part, the spiritual part, that all of that combines together into who we are as people created in the image of God. There you go. And I know that people can't wrap their brains around God being any sort of sexual being, but listen to my first podcast episodes. <laughs> Maybe you'll catch that vision. So Angie, I can't wait to have you back. I can't wait to hear what all Thank of this you. data reveals. Thank you for your courage. I know that you also share that trailblazer name tag that you're the type of person that ventures out ahead of others and gets a lot of arrows in their back as a result. But unflinchingly, you have just continued to press on and go, nope, if we're doing damage in the name of God, we're going to figure it out and we're going to own up to it and we're going to make it right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you have done and will continue to do. And I can't wait until we get to talk again. Absolutely. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. We love you for listening and we thank you for tapping on us.